Welcome to Last Thing Discussed, Benefits Talk for the Workplace, brought to you by The Standard. The symptoms of COVID-19 sometimes stretch beyond what can be quantified by a cough or shortness of breath. Even after recovering from infection, symptoms like anxiety, brain fog, or chronic fatigue can linger for months and manifest differently for everyone. So they can be frustratingly difficult to describe objectively to physicians or HR representatives. This was the case for Angelica, a librarian who, at the age of 40, was diagnosed with long COVID. Her symptoms ranged from chronic fatigue syndrome to muscle weakness to brain fog, and made her job nearly impossible to perform without help. When she asked for help, HR intervened on her behalf by securing an ergonomic evaluation through her stay-at-work services. The intervention not only saved her mental and physical health, but an estimated $4,000 and two months of missing work. Welcome to the fifth episode of Last Thing Discussed, Benefits Talk for the Workplace, brought to you by The Standard. I'm Carolyn McCardle, and joining me today is the Standards Workplace Possibilities Practice Consultant, Dan Jolivet, and Associate Medical Director, Dr. Charles Glassman. They join us to discuss the impact that the lasting subjective effects of COVID-19, commonly called long COVID, can have for employees and their employers alike. There has been more and more discussion about the possible lasting after effects of COVID-19 on people's health and a lot of questions, including how it might be impacting workers. So before we get into its impact in the workforce and how it impacts employees and workers, Dr. Glassman, can you just give us sort of a general description of what long COVID is? Well, uh, most of us know what COVID is itself. We have symptoms that range from upper respiratory type cold kind of symptoms that could be more severe with cough and fatigue and fever and a wide range of mild to severe cases. And that typically lasts anywhere from one to four weeks. When you start getting beyond the four week period with symptoms that may be different from the acute symptoms, and developing kind of uh, different symptoms, which we'll go over in a minute, when those start occurring after the four-week mark and lasting anywhere from three to 12 months, uh, it's then put into a different category, which is now being called long COVID. And actually, there's a couple different uh, terminologies. In fact, JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association, had an article that kind of broke it down to uh, post-COVID conditions uh, which are kind of all conditions that are uh, related to the COVID infection. And uh, there's the post-acute sequelae of COVID, which are infections that, that after COVID, which we call long COVID. PASC uh, is the kind of longer term we kind of call post-COVID or long COVID. And that's referring to anything that could be directly or indirectly related to COVID. Uh, so that's usually, again, long COVID are symptoms that are lasting 
three to 12 months after the acute infection. What are some examples of long COVID? Like, what are some of those things that would hang on for that three to 12 month and beyond in some cases? Good question. The um, acute infection, I'll, I'll go over that real quickly first. And I kind of made reference to different symptoms that, you know, may last one to four weeks, and it could be mild to severe, mild, again, being the upper respiratory kind of cold-like symptoms, sore throat, and the in the past uh, variants, there was loss of taste and smell, whereas the uh, longer COVID has similarities, the fatigue that goes on with people had initially could last, but then people are, are starting to develop brain fog, which as is described, kind of a, a decrease of cognition, which wasn't a in the initial infection, or they're developing chest pain, which usually is not in the acute infection. There are are psychological effects that seem to be lasting. Anxiety and depression seem to be associated with the long COVID. Persistent shortness of breath is also in the longer COVID symptoms. There's a condition called POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which means that people when they go from a lying or sitting position to standing, their heart rate accelerates, and that can lead to a feeling of being unwell. That's the tachycardia, the rapid heartbeat. That's not uh, present in the acute infection. So these are, are some of the features of the longer COVID that uh, people have been experiencing and seeing. Could these be symptoms that I know you said that when most of the patients started out what, before they had COVID or pre-COVID, that these symptoms, is there a chance that they had these symptoms, anxiety, for example, that they already were, you know, had anxiety issues, but then having COVID just amplified that for them? Absolutely. I heard a long time ago that for many people that have COVID, the COVID sort of, for lack of a better term, attacks those weaknesses. So I had COVID and I had it early on. And when it got me, it got my back, which I have back issues and I had severe back pain and I have asthma and I had a hard time breathing. And so I do feel like, you know, if you have any of these things, it's almost like they're amplified. So do you find that to be the case? Yeah, I, I think uh, anytime you have a, a weakness, let's say, um, it is the great exposure of that because anything that's going to uh, cause fear <laughs> and and certainly you get sick. And if anyone is prone to anxiety prior to that, um, it's going to bring it out. It's going to um, amplify it. It's kind of like, I, I kind of look at it when we, a lot of times we say things are genetic, okay, or they're inherited. And what that really means is that, you know, certain genes can lay dormant, but in the, in, in the proper setting, those genes can be turned on. And uh, it's the same thing with illness. You could have things that are, are you got them under control. You're okay. You know, it, uh, you have some anxiety, you have some depression, but you got it under control. But something comes along and just, it opens the floodgates to, you know, you don't have that suppression anymore. You don't have those things that you have developed to keep them at bay. They're, you're vulnerable now. And that's one of the things that that happens. And certainly if you have any type of respiratory condition, you run the risk of much more of a moderate to severe case of COVID. And certainly you do have a higher risk of long COVID, those people who have pre-existing conditions. So there are some theories that 
even people who did not have these conditions beforehand, that something is happening in the brain that's causing them to happen. One more time, would you tell me what PASC stands for, P-A-S-C? Yeah, post-acute sequelae of COVID. So sequelae means aftermath. So it's the aftermath of the acute infection. Okay. And there are two types of PASC? Well, yeah, there are two types of PASC. And it's the acute, the, really the, the long COVID that we talk about is the, is the second one. The first one uh, and, and the second one are, are, are developing symptoms that we can't really identify necessarily, whereas the first is, are those people who had severe COVID are directly impacted from their acute infection. So they have conditions that were caused by the acute infection. So what those conditions could have led to multi-organ involvement. So it could have damaged their liver. It could have damaged their lungs. It could have damaged their heart. This is the acute infection. And so if you damage the heart and the lungs and the liver and the kidneys and the brain due to blood clots, due to overwhelming inflammation, due to developing heart failure, those are going to carry over in the weeks to come and in the years to come. So those are going to lead to chronic diseases, chronic conditions. So that's a direct insult from the virus. Whereas the second category of past long COVID is really the one that we're focusing on because that's the majority of the patients who survived, okay? And they uh, may have had mild to severe COVID, but now they have secondary conditions that are the ones that we can't put our, we can't do a lab test, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and say, okay, this is where it's coming from. This is what we can do about it. So what are those things as we talked about? Fatigue, kind of general, right? We don't really, oh, I feel tired all the time. Well, what's causing it? Well, you do a whole slew of blood tests and you don't come up with any abnormalities, okay? Short of breath, okay? You do the, the pulmonary function testing, you don't really see any abnormalities. Brain fog, you do CAT scans, MRIs, eh, there's really nothing that you can put your finger on. And I think that second category, the, the people who are having subjective symptoms, they're more challenging for a number of reasons. One is they may not have had a severe case. So I have friends who have had long COVID after having a very mild active infection. So people who had COVID-19 for a week or so, never went to the hospital, never were you know, at any real risk, you know, didn't go on ventilators or anything like that. But people who had mild symptoms, but then a few weeks after the the active infection passed, suddenly they're dealing with fatigue, brain fog, things like that, aches and pains, uh, you know, struggling, uh, fatigue after exertion. And it's difficult because one, they didn't have a severe infection, and it doesn't make sense. And then the second thing that makes it very difficult is that these are subjective symptoms. And as Charles said, you can't necessarily run a test to show it. And the employers are likely to kind of say, hey, you weren't that sick, and you know now you've got these vague complaints. And I think that also then leads to employees essentially either concealing or not even recognizing that they've got a, a condition. And they just feel like, you know, well, 
I'm tired or I'm having trouble focusing. I was talking with a friend who had long, long COVID uh, last week, and he said he found himself taking five or 10 minutes to read even short emails, and he's at work, and he said it took him a few days to realize, oh, this is brain fog. And he didn't say anything to his, his uh, supervisor. He didn't inform his employer. It lasted a few weeks and then passed. And, you know, he was just at work and probably no one recognized other than the fact that he was probably slower to respond to emails. Think of how many people are out there that are listening to this saying, oh, my gosh, that's me. Or I know somebody that this is happening to and they're afraid to speak yeah. up because they don't want the judgment from coworkers or their boss or whatever. I think you're speaking to the masses, Dan, yes. for sure. Well, and, and the masses is, is a great uh, way to put it. The CDC has been doing household pulse surveys asking people about long COVID symptoms. And I've been thinking, you know, we're probably talking in the five, maybe the 10 million Americans range. According to the CDC's Pulse Survey, we've had over 36 million Americans either have or have had long COVID. So it's very, very common. And the other thing about it is that looking at the data from the CDC, at least 62% of those people are continuing to work even while they have long COVID. So, you know, people mm. maybe don't recognize that it's an issue or you know, they need the, the money, they need to work, whatever. So we're seeing uh, a lot of these people, the majority of them, working despite having symptoms that probably are in many cases impacting their ability to perform. I'd be interested to know from either one of you, are there certain groups of people who are more prone to experiencing long-term COVID? And, and if you can identify that group, has the sort of makeup of that group, has that shifted since 2020? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, it really hasn't been some discussion of, you know, long COVID and whether or not the different variants could cause it more. And, and that's still a question um, that, that's out there. But the groups that seem to be more prone, you know, still people who have had five or more symptoms at the start of the infection. Now, that could be mild, okay? When I had COVID, few months ago, it was Omicron, and I had five or more symptoms. I wasn't particularly sick. I would say I had a mild case of COVID, but I had five or more symptoms. I had a fever briefly. I had a sore throat. I had some muscle aches. Mm -hmm. I had a couple other symptoms and because I added them up. So I had five, and that was a mild case. So when they say mild to severe, it's true. But Typically, the other groups that are more prone to it are kind of the same that are more prone to serious infections. So those are the people who had pre-existing medical conditions, those people who are obese or overweight, and those people who are 60 years or over. And those are the groups that are more prone to a serious infection as well. So the more serious the infection, the more likely, but that doesn't rule out that some people with mild infections can get it. That really has not changed. That's been about steady. Uh, recent uh, studies that Dan is referring to seems to confirm it, and other references that I've seen recently seem to agree with that. There was also, there's an article published in the Journal of the American Medical Association that showed 
there does appear to be an association between long COVID and prior depression, anxiety, worry, stress, and loneliness. So people who were, as, as Charles already put it, kind of at risk for psychological distress, there is some evidence that those, uh, those populations are at higher risk for long COVID. Why do you think employers should be paying attention in particular, Dan, to long-term COVID? For those reasons, or are there additional reasons? I mean, those to me make total sense, but is there something in addition to that that employers should be paying attention to? You know, the first thing, just in sheer numbers, we're talking about the largest group of new disabling conditions in the workplace. This is 36 million people. And then the fact that people are continuing to work suggests that we're going to see a lot of presenteeism, people working while while they're ill. And when people are ill and work, you know, their performance is impacted, their productivity goes down, the quality of work may go down. You know, when people are ill, they don't focus as well. They may make, you know, minor errors. They may be at more risk for accidents and injuries. And they may also have more problems with coworkers. I think all of us have worked when we were, were ill for a day or two, or you know, when you get the, a cold or something. We know we're not our best, but with long COVID, that can go on for weeks or months. And particularly if an employee is afraid uh, of being stigmatized or doesn't want to sort of uh, get in trouble because of their issues. They may work to conceal it, and you end up with presenteeism. It's not so much, you know, we've heard a lot recently about quiet quitting, where people don't go above and beyond. Mm -hmm. They're just trying, you know, they're just going through the motions, doing what they need to do to keep their job, but they're not uh, really, they're not trying to excel. They're doing the bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah. With someone who's got long COVID, it's less of that and more that they're doing as much as they can but they're exhausted or they can't concentrate or they're in pain. And that's going to have a tremendous impact. And I did some research recently and found that just for, if you look prior to the pandemic, just looking at people with chronic pain, um, mental health and substance use issues, those people alone in presenteeism, working while ill, that is estimated to cost the U.S. economy more than a trillion dollars a year, more than 5% of the GDP. And we're looking at a surge in people who will be working while ill. And we don't have any idea how big the impact is going to be yet because, you know, obviously if their long COVID is, say, they lose their sense of smell, that's not going to likely impact most people's work performance. But if they're exhausted, if they're struggling to focus, that may have subtle and pervasive effects on their performance. And employers need to be focused on that and recognize that when someone's behavior or performance changes, that you need to look into that and not just automatically assume it's a disciplinary issue. Um, You need to be aware that, hey, this person may be struggling Uh, with a medical condition. Have you seen any important statistics sort of arise from the increase in past claims? We have. We saw, what we saw was a, early on in the pandemic, a lot of people 
filing for short-term disability, which is consistent with, you know, when they were having the active COVID infection. And we saw around 25% of those people continued on to long-term disability, which suggests they were having uh, issues with long COVID. We've seen a decrease in the short-term disability claims, but at the same time, the percentage of claims that are persisting for longer than five months has gone up, which is a, a tremendously long time. So then in that case, what can employers do to assist their employees and, and look out for them and support the more these people with the long COVID symptoms? Well, I, I think the first thing is that employers across the boards, it's beneficial to recognize when someone is having any kind of problem. If you notice someone's appearance, behavior, or performance changing, to, to be aware of that and identify what's going on. You know, like, hey, Dan, I noticed you've been late five days in a row. And talking with people in private, asking them, you know, what can I do to help? Being clear, I've noticed this change. I've noticed this problem. Your productivity's gone down or you're snapping at your coworkers. What can I do to help? And then listening empathically to hear, you know, what's going on. And if the employee says, you know, gee, I can't focus. I'm having to reread emails five times to understand them. Or I get up from my desk and afterwards when I sit down, I'm just exhausted. I feel like I've run a marathon. That's a good place to start thinking about, well, what can I do to help? What will help here? And the reality is, Many of the symptoms, particularly the subjective symptoms that employees have, those are leading to limitations and restrictions that can be accommodated. It's possible for us to help people, and we know this from you know, literally decades of working with people who have, say, chronic fatigue syndrome, who are exhausted and you know, no amount of sleep is going to allow them to feel rested. And we can provide uh, accommodations to help with those. Certainly, those are some gr some really great accommodations. But I'm wondering, you know, if you're the employer and you're you're making these accommodations, which is fantastic. Like, how can you be sure that these accommodations are going to work? Well, that's a, a common question. The reality is, accommodations are they don't really depend on the diagnosis or you know what condition we're dealing with. So, in other words. If someone is dealing with fatigue because of long COVID or because of chronic fatigue syndrome or because they're in treatment, say, for cancer, the accommodations are specific to the symptom, not to the diagnosis. And so we can help someone who's struggling, to, to give a different example, someone who's struggling with problems with concentrating. Well, we've been dealing with people who have uh, concentration difficulties as a result of a stroke for, you know, years. That's a very common uh, limitation that we'll see someone who's been out on disability leave because of a stroke, they're having trouble focusing, and then we can provide accommodations to support them. Now, that could be something as, as easy as a noise cancellation headset so that they're not distracted. It can be helping them to uh, workflow their tasks so that they can do, you know, sort of step-by-step. Step. 
It can be giving people things like planners or electronic organizers. So it really doesn't matter why someone is struggling with brain fog, which is a term we heard a lot with people who have, have had strokes. It doesn't matter what's causing that so much as what do you need to accomplish the essential functions of your job despite it? So we know very little really still about what's causing long COVID. And it's going to be years, I think, before we really understand from a physical and a medical basis what's going on and before we have effective treatments. But in the meantime, the accommodations really doesn't matter why or how it's being caused. It's we can give you tools that will help you to be able to function at work despite these. That's great. Are there, I know you mentioned the noise canceling headphones. Are there other accommodations that just come to mind for you in particular that you've seen implemented in mm -hmm. office places or even home offices that are effective that others could kind of gain some ideas and knowledge from? Sure. I was reviewing a case the other day with a man who was, his term was he was debilitated by his long COVID. He was exhausted. You know, he was getting plenty of sleep, but still woke up exhausted. He was exhausted after any exertion. And what we did was uh, our consultant negotiated with him and his employer to have a, a modified break schedule where during the course of the day, he's able to take breaks and they have a rest area where he can go in private and lay down for a nap. And, you know, the reality is he may end up essentially working a split shift because he may work for a few hours and then just be exhausted, go take a nap and then come back. And that kind of uh, accommodation is uh, especially easy when someone is working remotely. If someone's working from home, the agreement with the employer is really all you need for an employer to say, OK, you can take a, a break whenever you need to you know, rest or get your energy back just as long as you're, you know, working your, your full eight hours. And that kind of accommodation is obviously very easy when someone's working at home. And there's been a lot of talk recently about the idea that remote work makes the most sense when it's asynchronous, when if someone's working remotely, much of the time, there's no reason to say you have to be on at nine and you have to work solid to five that people can adjust their schedules more. Obviously, there's some jobs where you can't do that. But if there's no real reason to have to be synchronized with the office, accommodations like that make a great deal of sense when it comes to people with long COVID who may be dealing with fatigue or uh, other kinds of symptoms that are worse at various times during the day. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's still kind of like we're in this ether of still trying to figure things out and we're still learning. And that's why this conversation has been so great, because if we could just help one other employer, you know, or even an employee listens to this and gains an idea and goes to their employer and says, hey, I heard this yep. on this podcast. I mean, it's one step at a time, right? Yep. Just getting the word out. So any thoughts, any messages, ideas you'd like to leave our audience with today before we yes. find out? But I've heard this again and again over the last few months. People are tired of COVID. They don't want to hear about COVID. Uh, you know, employers are telling me, I, we don't want to hear more about COVID. But it's really important that we recognize 
COVID is not done with us. Now, the COVID-19, the active infections may, you know, may continue to be relatively low. Um, we may see a surge, we may not, but regardless, we are going to see people with long COVID. And employers really need to not say, I don't want to hear it. They need to be open to hearing about it if they've got workers who are struggling with long COVID so that they can get the uh, support and the help that they need to do their best possible work. Otherwise, you're going to have people working well ill who are not as productive as they could be, their quality may be impaired, their morale may be impaired, and all sorts of negative impacts. When, on the other hand, if you ask them what's going on and if you get them the support that they need, they're going to have better morale they're going to be positive about their employers. They're going, you're going to have better employee retention. And you'll also have better productivity and quality of work because you've given them the support and the adaptions that they need in order to be as productive and perform as well as possible. The, the last thing I really want to point out is that although COVID-19 and long covid this is a new condition, and we don't know that much about it. It's still true that the symptoms mirror other chronic conditions, and we've had great success helping people with accommodations. And so even though it's a new condition, employers should be hopeful. The rate of success is very high, and people are able to stay at work. Uh, they are able to return to work and be uh, good performers despite the fact of having long COVID. So it, it isn't a hopeless situation, but people need to know that accommodations exist and they need to partner with their benefits vendors to get the support to offer accommodations that will work. Awesome. This was great. Dr. Charles Glassman and Dan Jolivet, thank you for joining us today. It's been an honor to have you here. Yeah, thanks so much, Carolyn. Appreciate it. To hear more about long COVID and how it mirrors chronic conditions, visit standard.com and check out their white paper. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Last Thing Discussed, Benefits Talk for the Workplace. And a huge thanks as well to Dan Jolivet and Dr. Charles Glassman for being here and telling us about the important methods HR managers and professionals are using to help their employees overcome long COVID. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate us and leave a review. I'm Carolyn McArdle, and this has been Last Thing Discussed, Benefits Talk for the Workplace from The Standard.